0: Let me read to you out of Genesis chapter number one. The first command God gave to human beings after man and woman was created. Remember Genesis one tells us what God did, creation, it is good. Genesis two tells us how and to a degree why God created. And then if I ask such a biblically erudite congregation as this, what's the first command God gave to human beings in all of history? What's the first command? I'm going to read it to you. Genesis chapter number one, verse 27, 28. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them and said to them, have sex. That's not in your translation? (laughs) You've never read that before? The first command God gave to human beings was to have sex, be fruitful and multiply, have sex. And then in chapter number two, God performed the first marriage ceremonies so that Adam and Eve would be in covenant with him and with one another. We know the formula. Leave, cleave, one flesh. You are, as we say, buck naked with no shame. Whoa. You see, prudes do not like the Bible. The Bible is very clear about human sexuality. It is very open, it is very plain, it is very, very vivid. And so we in our culture somehow have got this all confused because have you noticed something happen in American culture on the way to the 21st century? Did you notice it? One of the main things is a total misunderstanding of human sexuality. Guess what? As I recently read, there are not 71 different genders. Oh yes, there's only two. There's only two. And so we turn to the scripture to understand this wonderful, beautiful, sacred gift of sex and sexuality. God invented sex. He gave it to us. It is magnificent, it is glorious, and we need to understand this gift as we need to understand all of his gifts in the context of the church. We've made a serious mistake with our young people, a tragic mistake with our young people. We have brought them up in a church and many times with Christian parents. We talk to them about being pure and celibate before they get married, and they accept that, by and large. They abstain, by and large. And then we spend 50 or $75,000 a year and send them to some college or university. And while they're there, sex is so dominant, sex is so accepted. You think that something's wrong with you if you have not had sex with the opposite sex. And therefore, they say, you know, The Bible was wrong, evidently, as I was taught, as my father and mother tried to teach me about sex, and it is a wonderful, fabulous thing, and then they have to go and listen into a secular class on, say, anthropology, and the professor said, well, there's no way they could be a God of love because of all the suffering, and they say, oh, that's it. When our kids no longer believe in God in church the way they were brought up to believe in God in church, we say, well, they're mixed up in their mind. No, first of all, there came sexual promiscuity. And then there was the theological problem. I've got to get away with the Bible and that which I'm taught. Sexual immorality precedes theological, biblical understanding of God and man. Aldous Huxley, brilliant scholar, theologian. He's very honest about it. He said, I had to come to a posture that there is no God because if there were a God, it would interfere with my expression of my sexual life. So this is where we are. We have lost the purpose of sex and what sex is for. Sex is given to human beings to be exercised gloriously creatively, dynamically, in the context of marriage. Someone says, well, you know, sex is just like a drive for food, no it's not. A drive for food has to have some parameters. If we would just eat and eat and eat and eat, all of us would weigh 600 pounds and come forward, I'll I'll sign your death certificate. Food has to have parameters." Sex more than food has to have parameters and the parameters for the expression of sex is within the sanctity and the holiness of marriage. And then there's celebration. What is the purpose of marriage? Procreation, we got that. Have children, have children. Number two. It is for pleasure. Now some of our church fathers got confused at this point, namely Augustine, namely Aquinas, but it is also for pleasure. I want to debate that, that's pretty clear, isn't it? Also, it is a a symbol, a reenactment of the covenant if you're a Christian that we have with God in Jesus Christ. Read the Bible. And all the covenants are restated, restated, restated. The covenant God has with Abraham is stated over and over and over again. The covenant of Isaac and Jacob, all the covenants in the Bible are restated and restated to remind us of the relationship and the promises of God. Every time a married couple has sex together, they are restating and reestablishing the covenant they have with God in Christ. It is a sacred covenant event. Just like we go to the Lord's table, the bread and the wine, the cup, it is a restatement of the covenant we have with God in Jesus Christ, in our personal salvation, in his lordship over your life and my life. So it is with sexual intimacy. You see how fabulous this relationship is. And we have totally got it confused. On one extreme, there is the playboy philosophy, anything goes, hey, anything goes. On the other extreme, there is Plato's philosophy, oh, sex is evil, doesn't matter, it's on the lower, lower level. This thing about the body is nothing. So one extreme, anything goes, the other extreme, nothing goes. But what is the posture we have as Christians? It is that in marriage there is an openness and we've already said it, there is a nakedness and there is no shame. It is day after day, week after week, experience after experience a thing of celebration. We need to deal with as our kids, somebody said, oh, you're gonna talk about sex in the sermon and be very clear about sexual intimacy. I, 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 you know, I don't know if I want my kids to be there. Listen, ladies and gentlemen, our kids are way, way, way ahead of us in whatever stage we were at their age. Let me tell you something. In Laurel, Mississippi, in the deep, deep, deep Bible Belt South, when I was Six years old, first grade, about the third or fourth recess, a guy came over and said, Look at this. And he brought out what he called six page literature. We didn't know what literature was, we understood that. And it was cartoons that an artist had very skillfully drawn of sexual activity between the comic strip characters that we would read and look at every day in the Laurel Leader Call. There was Lil Abner and Daisy Mae, intimate pictures. Superman, Lois Lane, intimate pictures. I'm six years old and my first understanding of where babies come from and what sex is all about came there at that recess when I was in the first grade. And I can take you there to that spot today and show you within 10 feet exactly where I was standing. Because I have a pornographic mind and you have a pornographic mind, every one of us here. And all of us have struck out, all of us have been confused All of us wishes we had second chances and here and there and under, and the whole culture in which we have now is a confusion about sexuality. I've got good news, good news of God and Jesus Christ, what he's done for us. I've got good news also biblically about sex, and how we are to live with the sex that we have and how we are to celebrate it if we are single, if we're divorced, if we never married, or if we're married today. Now, if you hadn't been around for the last six weeks, we've been talking about marriage. Six weeks, biblical study on marriage, and I have said very clearly, in your marriage, you got a choice. You can have a bad marriage, An okay marriage, we're hanging in there, some good, some bad, or you can have a great marriage. It's up to you, it's up to me. What kind of marriage do you want to have? There's no secret. God tells us how it works successfully and beautifully and dynamically, and a vital part of that marriage is the sexual intimacy you enjoy and have with your bride or with your husband. Heard someone say that sex in marriage is like oil in a machine. It keeps all the parts working and there's no rusting. So, how do we handle sex? The secular world would tell you that males give love in order to get sex. On the other side of the coin, they say females give sex in order to get love. Hmm, totally inaccurate, totally inaccurate. So we come to look to the Bible and get clear instructions as to how this most sacred gift operates. Now let me say for the 10,000th time, I will not be exhaustive in this subject, okay? And someone always said, why didn't you mention this? Oh, you left out this. Hang in there. We've got three or four or five more weeks to come and we will all understand clearly what Almighty God says in his book that is so relevant. I'm amazed that people, well, the Bible's an old book. It's not relevant. I can't find much in here that is not relevant and right over the middle of the plate. So we come and look at this relationship. Where do, where do you get instructions? All the way through the book. As I say, prudes will not like the Bible. Man, there is vivid understanding of all kinds of situations, all kinds of perversion. It's all there in sacred thread. It's dealt with in the context of the Holy Spirit and biblical revelation. But you really want to read a sensual book, a very erotic book? Read Song of Solomon, oh yeah. Read in a modern translation. And by the way, even biblical translation to Song of Solomon, Hebrew scholars tell me if it were translated literally as a Hebrew expressed it, we would just be, ah, I can't believe that's in the Bible. So, It's a wonderful, wonderful book. It's a very erotic book, even with the symbolism that is in there and a modern translation. Be careful when you read it. You say, I I can't believe that's in the Bible. Listen, what God has created and what God has explained to us, we should not be ashamed or embarrassed about. So we open the Song of Solomon or the Song of Songs. What does that mean? It must mean that this book, I call it SOS, Song of Solomon. The Song of Songs tells us how to sing the number one song in life in the area of human sexuality. It's the preeminent song, the song of songs. So we're talking about unashamedly sexual intimacy. The operative word for sexual intimacy is time, T-I-M-E. The operative word for sexual intimacy is? Help me choir, all together. The operative word for sexual intimacy is? Time. Now let's try everybody. The operative word is? Time. So we open the book of Ecclesiastes, and I wish we had the time to read all these passages, but I'm just going to make references to them, and you can go back and check them out because time is important. We're studying 1 Corinthians. You read in 1 Corinthians chapter number seven, a little verse how in married life there are occasions when, when sex is not participated in by the husband wife because that happens only for a time, remember? So we come to Ecclesiastes, and we see that sexual intimacy takes time. You read about Solomon. He's attracted to the Pseudomite woman, Shulah, and Solo, abbreviated names. And Solomon was attracted to her, and in chapter number one, he describes for us how he saw her, chapter one. In mine in that day, the body was totally covered, and all he saw was her face. And so in chapter one, when he saw this Shulamite girl, he describes her face. Man, her her eyes, her, her cheeks, her lips, her necks, that's all he could see. That was the introductory part. That was the first step in time with her. And then, there's a little bit about courtship, and then on their wedding night, we move into chapter number four, he describes more of her body. Remember, naked, unashamed, y'all got that? One flesh, not too fast for anybody, am I? So he describes her in more intimate terms. He describes her eyes, her neck, he describes her breast. You see, there's a development there in intimacy on the wedding night. And then years go by, and you go to chapter seven, he describes his wife, the Shulamite girl, from the top of her head to the bottom of her feet. He starts with her feet and said, boy, your feet sure look, paraphrase, sexual in those sandals. Yeah. He describes all of her body with great intimacy. So you see, As they were married, their relationship grew and grew and developed from just knowing this part, knowing this part, and knowing all of the body parts of one another. You see, the operative word in sexual intimacy is? Some of you already forgotten. Is? Time. It takes time. And also, the operative word in sexual intimacy is time, but Sexual intimacy takes timing, timing, right? Not going too fast for anybody, am Are you with me? You see it in Ecclesiastes. There in chapter number five, Solomon gets up. He says, man, I feel like making love to Shulamay, and he goes and knocks on the door of her her bedroom, and she says, what? And he says, open the door. Man, I want to come and make love to you. Young's paraphrase. It's right there. And Sheila says, you know, no, I'm just just waking up and I'm not, I'm not ready. And she makes the little excuses there. And by the way, there you have a biblical grounds for the headache. <laughs> yeah, right, 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 right there. Right in, right in, right in Song of Song. And she says, no, no, not And then she kind of wakes up. She said, you know, it's unscheduled. It's not the timing. But man, she went and opens the door and Solomon has left. He's gone. Solomon, come back. Hey, I'm reconsidering here your proposition. We're married. And and remember, we've already studied 1 Corinthians, a very devastating passage. God says, wives, you don't own your bodies any longer. Your husband owns them. Husbands, you don't own your bodies any longer, your wife owns. oh, 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 oh. And so now she gets up and get dressed and she's running all over everywhere trying to find Solomon. By the way, The Song of Solomon is an amazing book in a lot of fashions, but it pictures the Shulamite girl seeking to be intimate with her husband more than Solomon is seeking to be intimate with her. It is an aggressive female. Read it. Oh, I've never heard of such a thing. Can you think how that would go off way back there in antiquity? You see, it's, it's a celebration and it takes timing. Go on the internet and look up something like uh, the danger of poor timing. As you know, the danger of timing You'd probably get references to something in space that doesn't work and has to come together. Hey, that's what I thought. But you get in there, you know what it takes you to? It takes a BMW into your bedroom. Oh yeah, check it out, a BMW. A BMW, according to Ward's Automotive magazine, which is preeminent evidently in the understanding of engines and magazines, For 26 years they said the BMW makes the best engine of any manufacturer of automobiles, BMW. In 26 years BMW engine has finished number one, only two years they finished number two. It is the most delicate tuned engine of anything that's made on the planet according to this automotive magazine which is considered to be definitive. And so you look up and you talk about the danger of poor timing and you read there about how when somebody tinkers with a motor, the slightest bit, the engine of a BMW, you have to go back and get the ignition adjusted and has to be retimed. huh? And if this body is the engine God has given to you and me for sexual expression in marriage, timing is very important because it's more intricate than even a BMW engine. And so, how you re-adjust the timing of the ignition determines how the engine operates and when that adjustment is not put in perfect timing, You can read these warnings on the internet, huh? Knocking, he knocked on the door. Caused by fuel burning incorrectly and ignition shocks go off at the wrong time. Huh, are you with me? Do you understand? Sexual intimacy takes timing, and you can have some not unlike a BMW engine. No, number, number two problem, hard to start. <laughs> well, two or three are waking up. <laughs> number three, increase energy usage. Huh. Number four, overheating. That may not be a problem in our area. Number five, reduced power. What are we saying, folks? With symbol and metaphor, we understand a finely tuned engine. There has to be timing there at the ignition, and that's true in all the lovemaking we have in a marriage relationship. Am I going too fast for anybody? Apply it to yourself. Apply to your own life, and so we understand the operative word in sexual intimacy is time, and it takes time, and it takes timing. Also, it takes something else. Sexual intimacy requires timely communication. Read this book, and you'll see that Solomon and the Shudamite, they talked all the time. It's just full of talking and conversation. They talked, they talked, they talked. When they were making love, before they made love, while they made love, read it all in between. They're talking, they're communicating. It's important that we Communicate that we do not let, let things build up in a marriage relationship. And we haven't dealt with this, and we haven't dealt with this, we haven't dealt with this. And, and there's a verse there in the second chapter of Song of Solomon. Chapter, verse, chapter two, verse 15 says, catch the little foxes because they spoil the vines. Great little verse. I thought about that in terms of communication. It's those little bitty irritating things. He just keeps on criticizing. She just keeps on harping. She just keeps on dodging. And those little bitty foxes, and that day in a vineyard, the little foxes would go in and they would go and attack the very roots of the vine that was to produce fruit. They'd attack the roots and they know there would not be any fruit, there would not be any production. That's what happens, ladies and gentlemen, in marriage relationships and families, when there's little beep, 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 well, no big thing, beep, 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 and but suddenly the roots are attacked and there's no joy and fruition and growth and development in the marriage relationship. Check those little, fly- it takes communication. Communication is very important, very important. What is communication about? How do we communicate? Most of us would say with words, right? We communicate with words. Not really. Only 7% of communication has to do with words. Boy, when I read that and realized it was true, I said, you know, I spend a lot of time with words. I'm a semi-wordsmith. Every week I I write out a, a manuscript 32, 52 pages, you hope it'll be 32. <laughs> it's Impossible to preach a bad short sermon, people keep reminding me, but I, I work in words. I do not memorize particularly, it's just the overflow of what I've gotten and what I work every Thursday, I write out a manuscript, it's what I do, words, but words are not big, only 7% of when we communicate with one another has to do with words. Well, that's kind of strange, kind of strange. 38% have to do with tone of voice, words. Well, there's a lot left, what's left? You've got words and your tone of voice. Well, there's a lot left in this communication package. 55% has to do with body language and expression. Whoa, have you ever thought about that? So here we go, and let me prove that to you right now. Let's take the word yes, why yes? All right, we got that, the word is yes. Tone of voice. Yes. Yes. Well, 38%. What's that 55% expression? It is yes. (laughs) Yes. It is yes. Yes. Men, we are slow at this. Women get it faster. And one problem we've had in all of our mask marble stuff we've been engaged in is that we can't see expressions. The words are mumbled. Word communication is almost nil. And there's no expression of body language or facial expression. And therefore, communication has been basically muted or misunderstood and hasn't been taking place, right? Communication, 7% words, tone of voice, oh yeah, but the expression, the smile, that is the 55% of when we try to communicate with one another. All right, let's just show how many steps are involved in communication. Here's a husband who wants to communicate with his wife. This is what he Wants to say to his wife. He thinks about what he wants to say, okay. Thinks about, and then he expresses that to his wife, what he wants to say, which is something different than he'd thought about saying, right? Then his wife hears what he says. Then his wife takes what he has said and applies it to her. And then he, she thinks about what she wants to say back to her husband, okay. And she states it, and he hears it, and he applies that to himself, and then he thinks about what he wants to say back to her. Ladies and gentlemen, there are eight steps in just a bam of communication between a husband and wife. You got it? And in any of those steps, there could be all kinds of confusion. With words, a little bit, tone of voice, Bigger, body language, body language, 55%. We need to learn how to communicate and don't let those little foxes spoil the vine. If there's going to be sexual intimacy, communication, and then not only sexual intimacy, the operative word is I'd forgotten. <laughs> sexual intimacy, the obvious word is. is. Time. And then there takes sexual intimacy involves being timely. And then sexual intimacy involves timely communication. And then finally, it takes time away. Yeah. Cut out everything else, shut off computers and phones and activities and time's away with a husband and a wife. Doesn't matter where you go, how you go, shut the door, get away, time away. We're talking about sexual intimacy. We're talking about a relationship that is growing and developing sweeter and better year by year by year by year. Thrilling thing, don't miss on that. It's exceedingly important, all of this, in having a marriage that Solomon would say sings. That's our our glory, is having a a great marriage. Let's just, just say, and I could illustrate this, but I'll not, that you were invited to go to a meeting of the top, wealthiest, most successful executives in America. Say there were about 12 people there. And all of these 12 people were asked to tell the group their secret of success and what they've done. One guy stands up and he said, well, you know, for I was 21 years old, I, I came from nothing but I'd made my first million dollars. And now I'm CEO of a company and it's worth it. Next guy stands up and said, well, I went to school you know, I, I got a PhD in nuclear physics ph- as a nuclear physicist, and I went out and and I made this contribution. I won a, a Nobel Prize, and they give all their stories success. And this average guy in there, he said, "What am I going to say? And I'm just average." And he said to those other men, he said, "You know." I've been married to a great gal for 32 years. We have four super children, three girls and a boy, and I love my wife today now more than I did. when We got married, our children, all but one are married, and they have children, and they love the Lord Jesus Christ, and they're faithful, and their lives are full of glory and honor of God. He said, that's my success. Hmm. Sexual intimacy. About two weeks ago, my wife Lisa and I were asked to go to date night on our 1463 campus. We have six campuses. We've been to, I think, four of them now on date night. We invite, invite couples to come, dating couples or married couples of all ages. We have a meal and they have some entertainment And then they asked me to get up and talk about marriage. And I've done this, and I was on 1463 about two weeks ago on Wednesday night. And so I get up and they give Lisa a mic and they give me a mic. And we're seated up there on a little platform. And I stand up and I talk about marriage. Little Ephesians, Colossians, little Genesis, personal experience. Explain to them why I'm five Beta cap on marriage. I was married 50 plus years to a great gal. I've been married this Christmas two years to a great gal. And I tell them I know everything about marriage and singleness that anybody can ever know. And, and so we have a good rapport and, I, and then I do a Q and A. And I take my microphone, Lisa stays on the platform. I go out with a mic, you know, TV style. And I ask, are there any questions? And then a hand goes up and a lady said, what about a blended family? I talk about a blended family. The other hand goes up and says, you know, uh, what, what about uh, in dealing with your children in their sexuality, and I talk about that. And finally, this lady, a couple of weeks ago, a lady raised her hand in the back and she said, well, tell me how marriage is going for Lisa, knowing this is her. First marriage, And Lisa gives a very beautiful, articulate uh, story of our marriage and growth and what it means to her and her Christian walk, it, it, it's a it's, it's fine, fine thing. And then a hand goes up in the back, a man, and I walk back there with boldness, and I just put the mic before him, and I said, what is your question? He said, I am a doctor. I'm a doctor of psychology, and I want to ask you, he says, I deal with people who are not married in the sexual area. I deal with people who are just married in the sexual area. I deal with people who've been married for 20 or 30 years in the sexual area. He said, I deal with people who are older in the fourth quarter of their life in the sexual area, and I want to ask you about you and Lisa's sex life. Would you tell me about it? Now, folks, (laughs) that was not my first rodeo, but I'd never been in a situation like that. So, I take the mic away from him. (laughs) I never let go of it, and I walk back to the front thinking, I guess praying, and everybody is real quiet, about 400, about 400 couples there. And being astute and quick, I looked at Lisa up there, I said, would you answer that question for that man? (laughs) Verbatim. She stood up with a smile And she said, I waited for 65 years and sex is great. (laughs) Well, following that, I did the smartest thing I've ever done in my entire life. I mean, the audience, they laughed, they cried, they stood up, they they cheered. I mean, it was pandemonium. But I did the smartest thing I've ever done. Put down my mic, went up, took her mic and put it down, and took her by the hand, and we walked out. Sexual intimacy takes time, it takes timing, it takes timely communication, it takes time alone. You can have any kind of marriage you want to have. As for me and my house, under God through Jesus Christ, I'm standing for a great marriage.